The following lecture was delivered at the 12th Annual National Jewish Retreat in Palm Desert, California, a project of the Roar Jewish Learning Institute. We hope you enjoy the lecture, and we encourage you to visit jretreat.com for information on upcoming retreats. Rabbi Reuven Wolf will now present his lecture, Let's Get Serious About Mashiach. The purpose, the reason, the ultimate goal of all of creation and all of existence is Moshiach. At the very, very onset of existence, when God initially imagined the creation, it was all about Moshiach. Moshiach is at the root of Jewish faith, Jewish life, Jewish experience, and Jewish practice. So it's a pretty, pretty serious topic, a serious matter. Let's begin for a moment with Jewish, with Jewish faith. Rambam, 12th century codifier of Jewish law, probably of the three greatest, must be from one of the top three greatest authorities in Judaism is Rabbi Moshe ben Maimon, the Rambam. Rambam defined, gave us, clarified the 13 principles of faith that make up the core essence of the Jewish belief system on what we believe as Jews. Pretty, pretty important things at the core of our, we, what we, these are the foundations, these are the pillars of being Jewish. So Rambam states, for instance, the belief in one God, the belief that God is not composed from various different uh, pieces, a singular entity, God not being a body, the Torah coming from Hashem, the Torah being divine, Prophecy, God communicating with man, reward and punishment, and some other other thank you, fundamental principles. And then finally, the 12th principle of faith, Maimonides tells us, and these words are very familiar with, Animamin, I believe, Be'amuna Shalema in perfect faith, Be'viyasa Mashiach in the coming of Mashiach. And this phrase has been etched and carved into the soul of each and every one of us, of the Jewish people. From the flames of the Inquisition to the Jews being transported in the cattle cars to Auschwitz. The piercing cries of the Jewish people in their song in which they declared at such a crucial moment their deep faith. Anima min, I believe perfect faith, in the coming of Mashiach. A very, very, very serious matter. And the 13th principle of faith, from Maimonides as well, is to be, we believe in the resurrection. The dead will come back to life. That's also something related and will happen in the Messianic era. So Mashiach is very, very fundamental to Judaism. 
What is the phrase that encapsulates a Jew's belief? Probably the most important phrase in Jewish faith, which Jews declare. What, what, what sentence is that? If we're to meet on two sides of the battlefield, and God forbid, should never happen, and a person pulls a gun, and the other one on the other side recognizes, hey, you're Jewish, you can see. And he knows you wouldn't, God forbid, kill another Jew. So what? But he doesn't speak the same language. He can't even say, I'm a Jew. You won't even understand what he's saying. What would you say to communicate that you're a Jew? What would you say? The phrase, Shema Yisrael, Hashem Elokeinu, Hashem Echad. Hear, O Israel. God, our God, God is one. What does that phrase mean? So the chief commentator, biblical commentator, the very, very, very most reliable commentator in all of Torah and Talmud, our beloved Rashi. How does Rashi translate that? In last week's Torah portion, we read the Shema Yisrael, and we all noticed the big Dalit of Echad in the Torah. What does Rashi say? What does that mean? Shema Yisrael means hero Israel. Hashem Elokeinu, God, who is our God today, the God that the, we, the Jewish people, believe in, Hashem Echad, one day will come when 8 billion people across the planet will recognize that there is only one God. In essence, what Rashi is saying, that the most important statement in Judaism, in which we're always saying that, in the morning and at night before we go to sleep, it's the last words uttered from every single Jew as they're about to return their soul to their maker. What do they say? I believe in the coming of Mashiach. Pretty serious stuff. Let's take a look at Jewish life. Our experience as Jews, prayer. Let's open up our Siddur. The entire prayer book is filled again and again and again with our faith, our belief, and prayers for Mashiach. The Amidah, Shemona Esrei, the 18 blessings or 19 blessings. If you pay attention, nine of the blessings of Shemona Esrei make explicit mention to Mashiach. That's more than half of the Amidah. The first blessing, right at the beginning, Umevi Goel, and he brings a redeemer, Libnei Bneem, to their children's children. Second blessing, Mechaya Mesim Birachamim Rabim. He resurrects the dead with great mercy, with great compassion. Fast forward, the seventh blessing. Uga'aleinu ge'ula shalema, and redeem us a complete redemption. Skip another to the tenth blessing. Tekabe shofar gadol lecheiru seinu, blow with the great shofar to our freedom. V'sonais and raise a banner. Lekabeitz to gather goliosenu our exiles. Two blessings further, or next blessing. Eleventh blessing. Hashiva shevtenu kavarishona, restore our, our judges. Referring to the supreme court of the Jewish people that sat in the holy temple. Seventy of the greatest uh, deciders of Jewish law. Of the great rabbis. We're asking God to return them to the holy temple. The next one. Destroy our enemies. And finally take everything that opposes Judaism. And holiness in the world. 
and make it and, and, and bring them to subservience to you. That's Valam al Shinim. Finally, we come to the great blessing, Ircha, your city Jerusalem, Berachamim Tashuv, with great mercy, return, Vitishkom Betocha, and you, God, dwell in the city of Jerusalem. Uveneosa and Bechisei David, the throne of King David, which is the throne of Mashiach, Betocha Tochen, you should place in Jerusalem. Then the next blessing, Estemach David Avdecha, the plant of King David. Mehera speedily tatzmiach make it grow forth, and we say kilishuascha because to your salvation kivinu kol hayom we wait with desperate longing. All of us we're waiting for that day kol hayom all day long. Then we go to the next blessing, or two blessings further. Vahashevet Alvodah return the service, Ledvir Beisecha, to your sanctuary. Unbelievable. The entire Shemona Esrei from the beginning to the end is filled with the hopes and the prayers for Mashiach. And why don't we conclude our prayer, all three prayers every day? What is our last and final words as we kiss our Siddur and we close it and we go on with our day? We say the Aleinu. And the second passage of Aleinu is called Va'alkein Nekavelacha, and therefore I hope to you, Lirot Mehera, to see quickly, Betiferes Uzecha, and the splendor of your might, Letakein Olam, when the entire world will be corrected and fixed, Bemalchashadai, in your kingdom, the kingdom of Hashem, Betimloch Aleem, and you will be king over them, Laolam Va'ed, forever and ever. This is our prayer. How about when we eat, when we have a meal, we sit down after our meal and we do birkat hamazon, we do the blessing grace after meals. Again, what do we find in the third blessing? Rachim Hashem Elokeinu, have mercy God. Al Yisrael HaMecha on the Jewish people, Yerushalayim on Jerusalem. And then we say, Uvene Yerushalayim, build Yerushalayim. Build Jerusalem again. Speedily in our days. And it's not only the big blessing, grace after meal, the small one as well, which we do when we don't wash for bread, when we eat a cookie, just a little, or think about this. For the last 2,000 years, every time a Jew ate a cookie, a donut, a cracker with schmaltz herring, every single time a Jew sipped a cup of wine, he prays for the redemption, for the restoration of Yerushalayim. Uvenei Yerushalayim Yerakodesh. Restore Yerushalayim. Jewish prayer. All the time we're praying. Let's go through the cycle of the year. Rosh Hashanah, when we're crowning God as a king, take a look at the liturgy of the prayer of Rosh Hashanah. More than any other time in the year, the entire prayer, the Amidah, the main prayer of Rosh Hashanah, is again and again and again praying for the revelation of God in this world, which is the time of Mashiach, and the bringing us our true king, our righteous Mashiach, Mashiach Tzedkenu. And we blow the shofar, and one of the reasons we blow shofar is because we're getting accustomed, and it awakes, it awakens within us the yearning for the great sound of the shofar that's going to herald in the, 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 the messianic era, Mashiach's times. Let's go to Yom Kippur. The entire Yom Kippur prayer evolves around the service of the Kohen Gadol, the high priest and the Holy of Holies. Which means that our Yom Kippur that we have today is but a faint echo. It's just a tiny little bit of the true service, 
which we're so, we so want is to watch the high priest in all his glory serving in the holy of holies. And then at the end of Yom Kippur, where every Jew comes to shul, everybody comes to synagogue. And what do we say? We blow the shofar one time, only once, and that's the sound of Mashiach shofar. And everybody cries out, and this is the conclusion of the entire Yom Kippur service, our deepest, most intimate moment with God. L'shana haba, the future, next year, Yerushalayim, Yerushalayim. Pesach, we sit down to the Seder, and we all know four cups of wine, but then there's a fifth cup. And the fifth cup is the cup of Elijah the prophet, Eliyahu Anavi. Again, we open up the door. We're waiting for, Mashiach, for Elijah the prophet, Eliyahu Anavi, to come and inform us that Mashiach is coming because we know the prophecy says Elijah, Eliyahu Anavi, is going to come to the Jewish people before the redemption to notify us of the redemption. Shavuot, the time the Torah is given. We know that that's considered our marriage with God when God at Sinai gave us the Torah. But the sages tell us that the marriage was incomplete. It was only a betrothal. It was only like an engagement. But our true intimacy with God hasn't happened yet. The consummation of our marriage is going to be in the time of Mashiach. We don't have a complete Shavuot. Just a few weeks, just last week, we got up from the floor, from the ashes. We sat for three weeks. We mourned the destruction of the temple. And we're waiting for the rebuilding of the third base Amigdash. A Jewish baby is born. If it's a boy, we give him a circumcision, a brit milah, right? The circumcision we know is not our circumcision. It's a circumcision we do. This is the mitzvah. But we know that the circumcision that we perform today is only the beginning of a much greater circumcision. A great, great circumcision that is to happen in the end of days. Guys, don't get scared. They're not taking anything else off. That's it. In any case, what does this mean? It means that in the end of days, Hashem is going to circumcise our hearts. He's going to remove the evil inclination. The heart is clogged. It's a verse, an open and biblical verse, where the Torah says, Umala Hashem Elokecha, and God your God is going to circumcise your heart. That's Lavav Zarecha on the heart of your children. Which means He's going to remove all evil inclination from all of humanity. That's, so that's what a, a Brit Mila is. It's just the beginning to, to, to bring about the time when there won't be any more foreskin, which means there won't be anything blocking anymore. God, let's go to a Jewish wedding. The greatest, most celebrated time. By a wedding, a couple is getting married. They're about to start their life to build a family. They're standing under the chuppah. Seven blessings are made over a cup of wine. Two of the blessings are about Mashiach. Sos tasis v'tagela akara. Rejoice akara, the barren one. Who's the barren one? Jerusalem. The kibbutz banaho and her children will come back home. And finally, the last blessing, right before we break the cup. Mehera yishama, swiftly, it should be heard. Ba'are Yehuda, in the cities of Yehuda, Ubechutzos, and in the courtyards of Yerushalayim. Kolsas and the kolsimcha, the sound of rejoicing, the sound of a chatan and a kala. Again, the Mashiach prophecy. And then we break the cup because our joy is incomplete. Because we know that we will only have complete joy when then then in those days our mouths will fill with laughter when Mashiach will come, when we will wake up from this nightmare called exile to, 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 to Mashiach. Wow, and our last and final accompanying of a Jewish life when we bring by a funeral and we bring a person and then they bury. Do you know there are certain laws pertaining to Jewish burial rituals that we do because we're preparing the person for the resurrection. 
And again, and what do we say? Yitkadal rabal. May God's name become great. And he should make, sprout forth the redemption and bring close Mashiach. Take Mashiach out of Judaism and you have a lifeless corpse. There's nothing there. Mashiach is the soul. It's the pulse of Jewish life, of Jewish experience. So what is Mashiach? Three questions we're going to deal with now. What really is Mashiach? Will my life change? How will it change? And finally, should I be excited about it? Uh, Well, I think we answered already definitely the last question. Should we be excited about it? Obviously, we have to say that this Mashiach, whatever it is, is going to be so good that for thousands of years, millions of people were praying for this to happen. It's got to be a very, very, very good thing. Or else why in heaven's name are we all praying for this to happen? So it's got to be something really, really good. And if it's good, we should be excited. Especially if we know that it's about to happen. That should really make us excited. Now, will our lives change? Obviously, because if everything is going to be just the same, why is it so good? It's not, not everything is so good right now. So obviously a lot is going to change. And that's why we're excited about it. The question is only how will it change? Okay, so let's first talk about what is Moshiach? So when we talk about Moshiach, we have to understand two parts to Moshiach. There's Moshiach, the era of Moshiach, and then there is Moshiach in itself. See, the era of Moshiach is sometimes referred to as Acharit Hayamim, end of days. Scary thought, bone-chilling thought, end of days. Does it mean an apocalypse? What's this end of days? That's the days of Mashiach, the Mashiach era. And then we also have Mashiach. Mashiach means the anointed one. Because the Mashiach era evolves around a person who is the anointed one, who brings redemption to the world and leads this world into this utopian existence called the Mashiach era. So what is going to happen by the Mashiach era? What's going to take place? Well, I just want to share with you what it says in the books. Nothing of my own. Again, Maimonides, in his last law, in his monumental book, which is the, again, foundation for all of the Jewish people, for all of our Jewish practice, Maimonides, the book Mishneh Torah, his last verse in that book says as follows. Let me read to you. Uba'ot in the laws of kings. You can look it up. Uba'oso hazmanan at that time, lo yiyasham, there will not be there, where? In the Mashiach world. Lo rav, there won't be any more hunger. Lo milchama, there won't be any war. Lo kina, there won't be any jealousy, v'tacharus and competition. Wow, that sounds pretty awesome. A world without hunger. That means no child in the entire world will go to sleep hungry. And that includes everywhere, not just for the Jewish people, for all of mankind. That means all the children, there's hunger, there is hunger. We, we thank God have a lot of food over here and we're eating and whatever, but there are hungry people who don't have what to eat in Africa, in India, in China, North Korea for sure. People that are starving. But over here too, you drive sometimes and you have people by the corner and sometimes you don't feel so good about it. But there are people there that are hungry. Literally hungry. And there are Jewish children living in Israel too that are hungry. Some families are poor. They don't have what to give 
No hunger. No hunger. A time without any hunger. No war. No war. All war. Not in Sudan. Not in Syria. Not in Iraq. Definitely no more bloodsheds in the streets of Jerusalem. No more terrorism is included in war. That too is a war. No more war. Forever and ever. Gone with war. Lokin and no jealousy and competition which drives us crazy. This is what we're all plagued with. All the time trying in this crazy rat race of just trying to make a living and accumulate wealth and so on and so forth so that we can be important and whatever. Gone. Gone is that jealousy. Gone is that comp- competition. Why? Let's go back to Maimonides. He says, Because the good is going to be so available. That means that the, the world, the earth, is going to provide so much. There's going to be such access. To, there's going to be so much. There's going to be such plenty in the world that there won't be any need for anything. How, how will it be this way? And all the delicacies will be available like dirt. Okay, so people go to war over what? Over gold, over oil fields. Why? Because there's not so much. No one is fighting over dirt. Besides in, Jer- in Jerusalem on the mountain. No one else. No one is fighting over a mound of... Uh, fighting over what? Over... When Mashiach will come, the, the world will provide so much, there will be no necessity. There won't be any need for anybody to grab, for anybody to be at war with each other. And no one will be hungry. Now what this means, that we will finally figure this out scientifically to be able to bring forth the produce that's going to be, that's the production of, 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 of the crop like never before. Well, in a sense, I, or will this be miraculous? Both together. You know, just yesterday it was in the news. Just yesterday was the news that Israel sold to, to, um, to Mexico for, I think, uh, $1.5 billion in irrigation uh, type of things to be able to irrigate um, places that till now couldn't produce anything because of the lack of water. So that could be scientific, uh, eventual scientific research that will enable the earth to tap into the true potential that the earth has. But in the, along with that is also a miraculous, an assistance from above, from God, to bring forth this plenty. So there is no hunger. There is no war. And there is no jealousy or competition because everything you need is available. So what in heaven's earth are we all going to be busy doing? There's no one to fight with. There's no, one to, <laughs> there's no work. You don't have to work for a living. Everything is available. And we can understand that perhaps we know the world is reaching a point where people won't have to be busy with anything. You won't even have to drive your car because your car will drive on its own. Drones can bring you Google. And now we have, we're just beginning. We're just the tip of the iceberg of being able to order. When your refrigerator knows what you're lacking and it will order it from Amazon and it will be a drone that will deliver it. And you don't even know about it. You have to think about it because you're, it's, all, it's all happening on its own. Everything. The, pe- the, 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 the stores are being stocked by robots. People don't have to do anything. So what in the world are we going to do? So Maimonides tells us, It will not be the occupation. The occupation of the entire world won't be for anything else. Only to know God. The world would be obsessed with the only commodity at that time. And that is what you came here for, for this weekend. It will be a quest for knowledge. 
a thirst for knowledge. Knowledge of what? Knowledge of the divine. Knowledge of God. And that's what's going to be the occupation of all of humanity and all of the world. Now, how long can we be busy with that? Well, we're still working. We're still working to try to explore and understand creation. We're trying to understand the natural world, the natural sciences. And we know the more we learn, the more it's a mystery of what's really, really there in the cosmos. To understand everything that's going on. Now, for one moment, bear with me. I'm going to share with you a Kabbalistic idea. When God created the world, when God created the universe, the Talmud tells us that God created the world with one letter, the letter He. In the Ha'alaf base, there are 22 letters. When God created the world, He created it with one letter. That means all the planets, the galaxies, everything that we know created with one letter. What does that mean with one letter? So for one moment, you close your eyes and just go, breathe out one breath. That's the amount of investment that God invested in creating the creation and the energy that sustains the cosmos for the thousands of years. The, the energy that's bringing everything into existence is that one letter, that one breath. And we know nothing about that breath yet because we're just trying to figure out the creation. How much more so once we have access to start researching, investigating, and getting to know the source of that breath, who's God himself, the infinite one, who's, who can create all that we know with one breath. Can you imagine what God himself is like? And here we are going to have a human being who is going to be a source, a fountain of infinite knowledge that's going to flow through him to all of humanity, in which he's going to teach. And the more we're going to learn, the more we're going to realize we don't know. And the more we don't know, the more of our curiosity will be created, will expand to want more and more and more and more, and we will never get enough. And so mankind will enter an age of incredible enlightenment. That's Maimonides. Telling us about Mashiach. How long will this last? How long will this be? Well, according to Maimonides, he says that life will not last forever, even after Mashiach comes. And even after the resurrection, when the dead will come back to life, we will live a very long life, but then it's time for the soul and the body to depart, to say goodbye to each other. The soul will go back up to heaven to ultimate bliss and ecstasy. That's Maimonides. However, I'll introduce you to another great Jewish scholar, Welcome to the world of the Kabbalists. This is the world of Rabbi Moshe ben Nachman, a great, great Kabbalist known as Ramban. Lived one century or one generation after Maimonides. Passed away in the year 1270. Nachmanides is of the belief. And so is the acceptance of all the Kabbalists. So we follow their opinion. After Mashiach will come, body and soul will live together in this world for all of eternity, forever and ever. Because when Mashiach will come, the human being, according to Nachmanides, will go back to the, to the state that Adam and Eve were before they made that fatal mistake and disobeyed God. Before they ate from the tree of knowledge. We will have a complete reset. The world will be reset 
factory, it's like you call it the factory settings. The world will be reset to the way it was when God created the world. The first thing is that man is not going to have anymore, man or woman, we all won't have anymore an evil inclination. So we will all function with a complete connection to our divine source. We won't have any urges to do anything negative, no negative impulses and the like. We will be so, so, so pure. And if there's no negative impulse, if there's no Yetzirah, evil inclination, there is no need for death. So life will go on forever. The only reason death was introduced was because since once evil became part of a human's experience, evil cannot endure forever. Evil cannot be forever, so therefore the human has to die so that we can get purged from the evil that's within us. And then we get to come back over here totally pure after Mashiach comes. And those who are born now, uh, that are alive during the time of Mashiach, most likely will not even, we hope, will not even have to go through the process of this purification because we're purified already. And therefore we can go into a time of eternal life, body and soul. In the pursuit of knowing God forever and ever. Nachmanides even adds that the nature of the animals will also change. Because initially when God created the world, all animals were vegetarian. There were no predatory animals. When Mashiach will come, again, factory settings, the animals will go back to their state. The lion and the lamb, like we know from the prophecy of Isaiah, of Ishai, will, li- will live together in peace. The world will live in ultimate peace and in harmony, forever, ever growing in their knowledge, in their understanding of God, further and further and deeper and deeper and deeper. This is the envision. This is the vision of what the Jewish people have been hoping for, waiting for, aspiring for. But all of this is going to be made a reality through a human being, through a person. We said before there is the Moshiach era, and then there is Moshiach you see, for, and all the time, when we, whenever we refer to the end of days, we don't refer to it as acharit hayamim. We, we, there is an reference, acharit hayamim, but that's not the regular reference to it. It's not end days. We refer, refer to time as Mashiach. We wait for Mashiach. What's Mashiach? Mashiach means the anointed one. The one who is anointed to be a king. So what are we talking about? We're talking about a saintly righteous human being, a great-grandson, direct lineage from King David, who is going to possess a soul unlike any soul that has ever been in this world ever before. The highest soul ever to be in the world, greater than all the righteous great people of all the ages, greater than Moses, Greater than Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. Greater even than Adam before he sinned. When the Talmud tells us the face of Adam was shining from one end of the world to the other end of the world like the light of the sun. Moshiach is going to be his soul. Is he more powerful? He's the deepest innermost dimension of the soul of Adam. And therefore his light is unbelievable. The attraction to this human being, the global attraction of all of humanity to this human being is going to be unsurpassed. The entire world will be crazy about him. Love him with, with, with such deep love. 
feel tremendous awe and respect because he will embody this great godly light, this great divine revelation, all coming through this, this, this person. This, now, we say about Moshiach that Moshiach, Rambam says about him that he will be greater than, 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 than Solomon in wisdom. He will be greater than Moshe, but not in prophecy. No one can exceed Moshe in prophecy because there can never come anybody that can contradict the truth, the validity of the Torah. The Torah is true. That's why the Christian Moshiach doesn't work, their idea. Because it's someone that's contradicting Torah, the mitzvot. Understand? That doesn't work. No one can contradict Moshe Rabbeinu's teachings. Because in prophecy, no one supersedes Moses. But in quality of soul, in wisdom, and everything else, Moshiach is the greatest person ever to be. And all of, the, all of humanity will recognize his greatness. And all of humanity will elect him sort of as a leader and be willing to do what Moshiach instructs them and guides them. And Moshiach is known to be a king, the greatest king. Now this is something that we are very uncomfortable with because we've gotten rid of kings a long time ago. They didn't leave a good taste in our mouth, these kings. Most of them were tyrants and monsters. And we don't really want such... Soma, we're very scared of having a human being that has such power, absolute power. Who knows? That's because when you give someone power, there is always the fear of corruption. And that the person will use that power for their own benefit. For their own good, not for the good of the people. Hypothetically, it's hard for us to imagine. Hypothetically, if we know that there is a human being who doesn't have one tiny bit of selfishness, doesn't have one tiny bit of ego, and is completely pure, and can be an absolute channel to the divine will, and is the most humblest human being ever to live. When Mashiach comes, Mashiach is described in the prophets as a poor man riding on a donkey. What does that mean? It's expressing the ultimate humble person who will pay attention to every human being, to every person. So if we can imagine a person of such purity, so how do we feel about him being a king? One can ask the question, okay, I understand a leader. Let him be an awesome sage. He will be a sage. A great, great mentor, the greatest mentor. But why does he need a crown? Why do, we need a, why do we need to have a Moshiach, a king? But it's very important because our belief as Jews is that we believe there will be a king. It's not enough to believe there will be a Moshiach era. We have to believe there will be a human being, a king that has absolute power. So here's just a simple idea which I think we can relate to and understand. And that is... In order for Mashiach to be able to move mankind very in great strides to higher accomplishments and higher achievements in a manner that, that doesn't take much time, 
to elevate us and move us to greater and greater and greater and greater and greater achievements. And, a, and for that, Moshiach has to have the ability to lead us as a king, which means that all of humanity is subservient to him and they follow him in blind faith. The reason for that is as follows. Because when you're trying to get something done in today's world in a, dem- in a democracy, because that's the best way we figured out the form of government that once we got rid of kings. So then we came up with this democracy as a form of government. That's the best way we, re- we have government until Mashiach comes. And I can say something, an interesting thought. I don't know, I haven't seen this anywhere, but it's my own thought. It's quite possible that the reason why the monarchs, the kings have lost power I don't know exactly when, like 100, 200 years ago, that, that time when they beat stopped, is because in order that we should not have that bad taste, in order that the world should be able to follow a true king, we can't go directly from corrupted kings into that, into a world of a, of a, of a, of a true melech and of a real king. So we have to kind of get rid of that. But if you think about it, so in the form of, of government that we have today in a democracy, Take a look at the the guacmire, the place that we're stuck today's days. Because basically you're relying on the highest understanding of the masses in electing officials. Now what's going on? No matter which side you are in the political spectrum, it doesn't make a difference. Oh, I can remember the last 25 years, we're not moving anywhere. It's like being caught in a car, in a blizzard, in a snowstorm, trying to get your car out. And you get in and you turn on the, and you don't have a four-wheel drive, and you're hitting the gas, and the cars and the wheels are spinning, and it's turning in the snow, and it's not going anywhere. Suddenly you skid, and you move a little bit this way. And then you move a little bit that way. What's been going on in America the last, the last, as far as I remember? We're not moving in any direction. We keep on getting stuck. This or that here, and because we're lacking a leader. We're lacking vision. We're lacking someone. And we need the agreement of everybody. Had the world been led, had Moshiach required, if Moshiach requires presenting a plan and then putting it to a vote or to elections and everybody has to agree with it, we would move at a turtle pace. So there is Moshiach as a teacher, but Moshiach is ultimate visionary. Let me give you a little bit of an example of something that perhaps we can relate to. And as a result of that, maybe, uh, maybe have a little bit of an appreciation. Take a look at the last 67 years. The leadership of the Rebbe, of the Lubavitcher Rebbe. So 67 years ago, Chabad, when the Rebbe took over, I don't know, and I haven't done an exact count, probably about 500 to 1,000 dedicated Hasidim, followers of the previous Rebbe. A lot of Jews, a lot of Hasidim were, were killed in Russia, a lot of them killed in the Holocaust. There weren't that many. I'm, I, I'm surprised if there really could be dedicated Hasidim that much, maybe 500, maybe a little more. Now let's take a look 67 years later after the Rebbe became the, the leader of the Chabad movement. Take a look at this incredible achievement of what has been done from a small clan of followers. People that have gone across the world to inspire Jews, to reach to every kind of Jew. Institutions, thousands of institutions, literally saved the Jewish people. 
How did the Hasidim go out? What's the secret of Chabad? The secret of the Chabad is one answer. The Rebbe is the secret of Chabad. But what's that? What's, what's the Rebbe's? Uni- it's the relationship between Rebbe and Chassidim was one of a king. Not just of a mentor and a teacher. The Rebbe didn't just teach us and when we understood. From understanding, we're not, we're not willing, people are not willing to, to, to give themselves over their entire lives because they understand. To live in what we call total self-sacrifice. It's because when the Rebbe said something, Hasidim knew that the Rebbe said something, two things. Number one, they had absolute trust in the purity of his heart. That the Rebbe doesn't have any one bit of personal interest for himself in asking any one of his emissaries to go out and do something for him that he needs personally just for himself. Hasidim sensed, we all sense so deeply that the Rebbe is totally pure and his motivation is one thing, his boundless love for the Jewish people. Boundless love for the Jewish people. And number two, the Rebbe didn't have a board and a president and people that had to vote or else we would be nowhere. It was the, we call the Rebbe's army. And take a look at what has happened. It's unbelievable. That's where you see the notion, the idea of the concept of a person, at least in the exile days that we have today, that's mirroring and reflecting the concept of a Jewish king that has total trust and devotion. Moshiach is going to gain the trust of all of humanity of the entire world. And all of the world will be excited to follow him. They will study, learn from him, but also be willing to follow his instructions. In this manner, he will guide humanity to greater and greater and greater heights. All of this is more or less the body of Moshiach. And now, just for the last few moments, let's introduce the soul of Moshiach, of the Moshiach era. So what really is Moshiach's era all about? One major, major thing. Now, as the world is today, the creator, God, the creator of the world, is hidden from his creations. He's obscured, he is hidden. When Mashiach will come, God will be completely revealed. The verse says so, V'nigla kevod Hashem, the glory of God will be revealed. V'ra'u kabasar, and all flesh will see. Not only will we have mental awareness and cognition of God, we will be able to behold the divine with our physical eyes. God will be as clear to us as a physical object. We will see the truth, the divine energy that's imbued in every creation and in every being and in every existence. Because when God created the world, the Torah tells us in Genesis, it was absolutely nothing. Zero. God created the world from Absolute nothing to something. How did God create our world, all of us, and everything from nothing to something? He projected His energy, His power into the world to create it and to sustain it. 
Now here is an amazing teaching of the holy Baal Shem Tov, the founder of Hasidism. The great Kabbalist and great, the holy Baal Shem Tov. The Baal Shem Tov teaches us as follows. That creation is not a historical event that happened way back then, but that creation is an ongoing perpetual thing that's taking place every second. That God is continuously creating the world from nothing to something every second. And how is he doing something? How is he doing this? His words in which he spoke and he said, let there be a heaven is continuously creating the heaven. The word that God said, let there be vegetation, is creating every tulip and every rose and every flower, every insect and every bird. Every creature is being created by the divine energy that's creating it. For a moment, we learned last week that you're supposed to know in your mind, but you're supposed to feel it in your heart. So if I can ask you for one moment to bear with me, so close your eyes for a second. And let's just try to feel this and sense this. I, me, my body, my hands, my feet, my brain, my heart. Every, everything that I've ever experienced with, with any of my senses. Everything I've seen, everything I've heard. My home, my car, my bed, my family. Everything that I have, all of time and space, the sky, the ground, the, the earth beneath me, the oceans, the trees, all of it, everything, everything, is right now being brought into existence by magnificent force of the letters of God that are continuously sustaining and creating me right now. Now if we open our eyes and ask the question, if God is so present and so powerful and so here in this world, how come we don't see him? The answer is if we would sense and feel the creative life force that's creating everything. So the holy Ripshnir Zalman of Liadi, the first Chabad Rebbe says in his holy book of Tanya, that if we were to see the godly energy that is enclosed in every creature and every being, we literally would not see the material, the matter, physical world. We wouldn't see ourselves because we would be canceled in the powerful presence of the divine energy that's creating us. The reason we don't see it is because God wants to give us free choice so that we shouldn't feel him, we should feel ourselves instead and be able to make choices. But as a result of all the hard work, of all the Jews, from the beginning of days, not just the Jews, of every righteous human being, from when the world was created, especially from Abraham and, and our mother Sarah, who declared and recognized God, from the binding of Isaac, throughout all of history, every mitzvah, every time you lit Shabbat candles, Every penny you gave to charity, every time we put on tefillin, every time we smiled and we did something kind and good, all that goodness is accumulating, accumulating. And all of our efforts are once and for all going to blow away that concealing, that element that's blocking what's called the shells, the klipot, that are covering and blocking God's truth from being revealed. 
and the moment will come and poof, God will be everywhere. We will be in touch with the deepest essence of, our, of ourselves. We will live totally beyond ego. We will live with our soul in a total, in a soul consciousness. That's Moshiach consciousness. All of humanity will be in that elevated state. And then we truly will begin to live the life that God had initially intended when he created the world. In the words of the Holy Tanya, I'm going to read it to you. When he talks about Moshiach in chapter 36 in the Tanya, Rav Shneur Zalman of Liadi says like this. Here's the words. He says, We know that is known, Mashiach, the days of the messianic era, ubefrat, and particularly kishayichu amesim, when the dead are going to be revived, come back to life, hemtachlis ushlemis brias haolam hazeh. That is the ultimate purpose and perfection of why God created the world. Shalakach nivra mitchilasai. That is why the world was created from the very beginning. The whole purpose of creation was that ultimate state. When you wonder and you say sometimes in the world, you look around ourselves and we look at the world and we say, what was God thinking? What was God thinking? How in the world can a God that is so infinitely good? The answer is we haven't seen the finished, the completed product. God created the world unfinished and he allowed us in the last thousands of years through all our acts of goodness and mitzvot that we do to complete the creation. So we haven't yet seen the creation as God intended it to be. That description that I've given you from the Maimonides that we spoke about earlier, what it's going to be like after Mashiach comes, that's that Mashiach world of infinite goodness and infinite light. Now the question is only, when is all that going to happen? Are we talking about a fantasy that might take place in 2,000 years? God forbid. And the answer is, it could happen any second. It should have happened quite a while ago. We are already at least 27 years past the end time of when Moshiach, Moshiach world is supposed to kick in. It's like a woman who's already, let's at least say, 27 days past her due date. At that time, we know she's going to have a baby. If it didn't happen now, it's going to happen in just another hour. Moshiach is called a great birth. Moshiach is compared to a birth. We are overdue to understand why this time is the imminent time. Now it's supposed to happen. This is the time of the redemption. If it doesn't happen by 3.05 today in the afternoon, God forbid. So join us for part two of this class uh, in which we will discuss the imminence of Mashiach. Is the Messianic era to precede the Mashiach or simultaneously? Simultaneously, yeah. And really, the, the, the real drive in the in Mashiach era, it's all driven by Mashiach. So he's the one who makes it happen. Yeah. As we do things to become 
start to experience that dynamic? For sure. The Rebbe told us, and I'm going to speak about this more in the next talk, that each and every one of us can actually start living in that reality by elevating our awareness. Because it's already here. It's just it hasn't yet made its way into the most outer, outer, outer layer of existence that we should be able to like in the outer crust. It's still just with a thin membrane maybe hiding. And each and every one of us can break that when we elevate our consciousness to live. And the Rebbe actually said that that's the way we make it happen by more of us learning about Mashiach and being aware that this is supposed to happen. Then we start looking around us and starting to identify these, these little signs, these things that are indicating that this is all upon us right now. Yes. Truth is that if you would take a DNA test, most, most of us will probably somehow be a descendant of King David after so many years of... However, over here, by Mashiach, there's something more that's necessary, and that is that it has to be a direct lineage, father, son, right? As we... From David. Um, so there is that lineage. Uh, there are people, exactly who they are. God has preserved it. You see in Psalms, Hashem says to King David, even, even if your children will misbehave, and even if I'll have to punish them. But my promise to the family of David is forever and ever. My kindness to him I will never take away. And I will preserve that family. And that, as much as God watches the Jewish people throughout this exile, and or else there's no explanation of how we're still here today, is because God has protected and watched the Jewish people the same, even more so, so to speak, within the Jewish people, God is so vigilant in protecting this family. Because this family carries that royal blood, which is the ultimate, um, the ultimate salvation for the entire world. Yes? People steal often not because they have material need, but because they can, because they want to. Essential, here's the thing, the essential personality of human beings are not going to change. But the, the direction of how that is directed is going to change. In other words, the, if a person is a very outgoing person and a very loud person, that's okay. As long as what is motivating that excitement and that passion and that, we might say, aggressiveness is for goodness is for goodness and for things. So for instance, see, what, what's really going to change is our very sense of reality is going to change. In other words, when we're very aware that, 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 our, that we are not an absolute existence that just exists because I am, but we're sensing the flow of energy that we're, we only exist every second because there is a supreme being who's God who is willing us and speaking us into existence every second, 
that reality, that awareness, suddenly changes us completely and eliminates ego. What it, what it, what it, what it makes every person be is a pure channel for, the, for God's unique, what would you say, beauty that is coming through this human being in terms of how this human being is unique. Your talents, your artistic talents, your abilities that you have as an expression of the divine source. So all of humanity is going to be unified with such a deep union in which we care about each other because we all recognize that every single human being is needed in the world in order to reflect something of the grandeur of the Creator. Once the sense of self changes, automatically all of our personality traits are going to be expressed um, different. I'll give you a little example. A child, when we grow up, we have essentially the same core personality traits that when we reach in character. But our ambitions, our drive, and so on and so forth changes because as our mental cognition and our awareness grows, so we direct our, you know, a person can be, uh, a child uh, is very aggressive, so he gets and he runs around in shul, and he's the one who grabs all the candies. You know, sometimes they have a, they're throwing uh, things when a chatan, so he's the one who gets all the candies. When he gets older, you know, he's grabbing all whatever. He, ha- he, he grabs all the money. and all the, <laughs> the same character, but it, it grows, it changes based on his awareness. When people will all gradually ascend, uh, will grow in their, in their understanding and their appreciation of what has really true value, so these characteristics will be used in the pursuit of that which is truly meaningful and real. Yeah. Yeah. Okay, the, 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 then it's going to be natural to us with absolute, to only do things that are healthy for our body. Because all the things that we do that might cause the body to deteriorate is because of, in a sense, a little Yetzirah and evil inclination. Once that's gone, so the body will do exactly what it needs to do to be healthy. And being that, as we said, you know, illness will depart, so the health. But, but, but really, the Kabbalists tell us that the, when Mashiach comes, the body is going to be superior to the soul. And the soul is going to derive energy from the body, which is really an upside-down world. But since the ultimate purpose of creation is that God desired to reside in the physical material world, so the real energy is going to be coming from the physical. And the physical is going to inspire the soul. That's going to be at some time, doesn't necessarily mean immediately when Mashiach comes, but at some time in the process of that enlightenment and that growth, the, the, the presence of God will be stronger felt, so to speak, in the body than in the neshama, than in the soul. Yeah. Is there any concept, kind of going off the other question, um, where there might be sort of a civil war where you do, if we don't believe, if we 
we're a little skeptical and we don't think ISIS is really going to take on what we're, what we're preaching here. Is there a concept of a civil war where we actually eliminate some of the tribes that defend the problem? Yes. I'm not saying that every, that every, that uh, the question was, is there some kind of an eradication of monstrous evil that's in the world that will need to be surgically removed? It seems like so from the, from the, I mean, it, it doesn't say that every single person in the world is going to have a change of heart and become a Baal Shuvah. Um, it could be, and it seems like we know that there is the idea of the riddance of Amalek, which is pure evil, and that we rely on that either Mashiach himself will get that done, or circumstances leading up to the coming of Mashiach are going to lead to that, to that destruction of that which is essentially evil in the world that needs to be eliminated. Since souls come back here more than once to be incarnated in bodies, what is going to happen? Which body is going to be resurrected to that soul? The answer to that is, imagine yourself going on a picnic on a little minibus with all the other yous. They're all part of you, living at other times, and all bound. Why? Because every time our soul comes in the body, another part of our tikkun that the soul had to do in this world was accomplished. That part of the soul enters that body, and that part of the soul, a soul, every part, every part of the soul incorporates all the powers of the soul. It's like DNA, where in every little point, you really have the DNA of the entire body. So all the pieces, all those bodies will, will, will be resurrected. Yeah, it'd be interesting if we know who they are. So it, it, that, would be, that would be fascinating. Yeah, yeah, yeah. What do you mean? At what, meaning when we're coming back, how are we coming back? I think the Talmud says we will come back. I think the in the in the in the in the state we were when we passed away, but then the person will be very quickly rehabilitated to their uh, to a state of 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 a good of complete health and so on and so forth. The body will. I think that if I recall, I have to look it up again. But I think that's what it says. In 1990, the world really entered into a different um, a, 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 another time zone. 1990 is comes out on the Jewish calendar to the year Tavshin Nun, which that is 5750, which is equals midday on Friday. The calendar, the, 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 we look at all of history as a cosmic week, and we hit Friday midday. Friday midday is when we start serious preparation for Shabbat. And Moshiach's era is entering into the time of, of Shabbos. And that's the time. And we're going to talk about amazing events that we see happen and how all the turmoil that's going on in the world around us is all related to this bubbling that's taking place and this tremendous metamorphosis that is about to come about in the world. We're going to talk about that in the next class. Bezrat Hashem. See you all at 305. Please visit myjli.com to learn more about JLI's multiple educational offerings and toracafe.com to view highlights and lectures from past retreats.